Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, the guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am your co-host, Chris Sinclair, joined by uh, our favorite... Uh, I was going to say something really mean. I'm not going to say. By our favorite human being, Drew Garrison, who's also my co-host. Uh, Drew. My brother from another... What'd it do? I think we need to work on your on your intro there. I think you need to refer to yourself as the host... And then, and then I can be co-host, and then maybe we switch it up every week, and then all that stuff because I feel like it throws you a little bit. But I'm doing great, and we've just Are you? encountered. Are you sure, you I know, feel like we need to handle like, some things right now. I feel like there was 32 minutes prior to this record button being hit where none of us could figure out how to work technology. And we all had different failures at different times. Like we thought, okay, we're ready to go. Wait, let's check this one more thing. Nope, that's broken too. So um, so now we're at this point where I'm a little riled up. My daughter hasn't slept in like six days. And it's put me completely off kilter. So um, it was funny for our guest this week. He's just like, he's like, you guys are... I'm going to change, you guys should change your show to like the procrastinators. I'm like, you have no idea how accurate that is. And, and also a huge contributor to it was just the fact that, oh my God, I haven't been able to get anything done this weekend at all because I'm just tired and, and all that fun stuff. But it's not going to change the fact that we're still very excited about today because we have one of our first stories. Actually, our first story has come full circle. We're going to talk about that. We're going to drink some really great stuff. We have breaking news for you. And we have the best guest, one of my absolute favorite people. He is a Susan James Yates Award winner. He is the co-founder and owner of St. Benevolence Rum. And he is probably most importantly, a fellow girl dad, Chase Babcock, my friend, welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. What are you drinking? Tell us we about did it. yourself. Thank you for having me and you for referencing it. the award I won uh, in graduate school from a school of public health. That's really, really important to me. It's one of my um, favorite things about you. That's why I yeah, try to mention it, it as much as I possibly can. It's, it's a deep cut. I don't even think my parents know. My wife doesn't even know what that is. I don't think. <laughs> um, I'm speaking of dad, dad stuff. Uh, I am drinking a uh, Lagunitas IPNA, which is a non-alcoholic Lagunitas beer. I'm on day eight of uh, trying to not be such a uh, dumpster person as it relates to <clears throat> uh, drinking just an unbelievable amount of alcohol. But I did bring a bottle to talk about. That is not a non-alcoholic beer from Lacanitas. If you'd like for me to share that with you. Well, so let me ask you with the with with trying not to be a dumpster person, is 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 it are you planning to go for just like the month of March? Is this your is this what you're trying to do a sober month? 
or yeah, no, that's that's a great question. I should clarify, dumpster person, for all the people out there that are actually actually sober and making good decisions. Um, um, yeah, I think probably like a lot of us in the pandemic, I my wife and I found ourselves imbibing more than we should on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and uh, we are uh, unique in that we are going into work, unlike a lot of folks who are still employed. And so, um, you know, it was just, it was starting to get away from us a little bit. So mm-hmm. we thought we'd reel it back a little. And uh, my parents are uh, vaccinated and coming to visit from the East Coast at the end of March. So we wanted to make it till their visit uh, dry so that we can um, undo all of the good work we did when they visit. So <laughs> Nice. That's great. I actually, because you know, like a lot of people will do a dry January, or dry February, because it's a short month. I, I haven't, I, I wanted to do March for a dry month. And one of the reasons that historically I've done March as my dry month is because I despise St. Patty's Day. And it mm. gives me a great reason not to drink on that day because it's just, I mean, it's the <clears throat> ultimate amateur hour party day. Yeah. And so I, I always like, and then, you know, March is a long time too. It's a lot of days in March. So it's kind of like a, that's a real accomplishment if you can go, you know, through some major drinking holidays. And then for a while in Sacramento, that was also beer week too. So it Mm -hmm. was like beer week was either before or after St. Patty's day. And then, and then we got from there. But, um, so with, with all of your imbibing and, you know, I, I know you were talking about, about your day job, but what about, what about your moonlighting as this, as this rum owner, can you tell us a little bit about your efforts with, uh, with St. Benevolence? Yeah, sure. I should have mentioned that. I got too excited about my NA beer and my, uh, Susie, Susie Yates award. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but aside from the day job, um, I'm the co-founder and owner of a small rum company, uh, called St. Benevolence. Uh, my, my father is my co-founder. Uh, founder, co-founder, depending on who introduces themselves first, right? Um, and uh, we started in 2017, and we started as a, a vehicle to fund charity work in Haiti. Uh, my dad had been doing uh, nonprofit work in Haiti since the late 90s um, and had built this kind of mini empire of charitable work in Haiti. And, uh, I had, uh, long worried that I would be responsible for taking over a charity and funding a charity. I've joked that, uh, some people get inheritances or boats or homes from their parents, but I'm going to inherit a charity. So, um, my goal the whole time was to figure out a sustainable funding mechanism for the charity so we could stop wasting our time fundraising and spend more time doing charity work, which is what we're good at. So, um, I'm sure we'll talk about it here in a little, but, uh, rum was just this really obvious choice, uh, based on what, uh, Haitians, uh, grow in terms of their agricultural product, sugarcane, and, uh, the, the products that they consume at home are, uh, you know, rum or rum derivatives. And so it was just this really aha moment to, to start St. Benevolence, um, sell the, uh, ancestral rum that Haitians drink at home and, uh, bring it to the U S and to the uh, to the EU and, uh, give the money to charity work. So, uh, yeah, St. Benevolence is, uh, aiming to be the Tom's shoes of alcohol. And there's like no joke about that. You guys are, are, are doing some really, really incredible stuff. And 
Um, one of the things that you know we talk about in this industry is kind of like the lack of transparency. And one of my favorite things about what you guys do is you put your tax returns on your website. Yeah, we like, do. So people can go ahead and be like, oh, no, they're actually doing what they say and are, you know, are actively improving, improving the lives of, of you know, the, the people of Haiti and the producers that they're working with and really the, you know, the village that they live in as well, because you guys actually provided a, a sugarcane press for them. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that is correct. So yeah, we post our tax returns on our website. Uh, we figured um, we're technically a for-profit company because we sell alcohol and the federal government wants to tax us for it, which is fine. Um, so we don't have to share our tax returns. We're not a 501c3, but uh, we do it anyways. Um, I think it, it's just the spirit of the company. That's the spirit of transparency. And I don't think there's you really get too much more transparent than showing um, people how much money you're losing on your website. So... Uh, <laughs> Um, so we're happy to do it. Uh, but yeah, we, we, um, it's, it's a, it's a good question. You asked about the, um, sharing the mechanized sugarcane crusher when my, when my dad, um, one of his first visits to Haiti, he, he watched a sugarcane harvest where, um, folks were crushing the sugarcane, um, in the traditional method, which is, you know, spirit aficionados or enthusiasts, maybe, um, can think of a similar picture in their minds of things they've seen in rural agricultural production of spirits, like maybe agave or maybe rum, but it's, you know, it's two oxen walking around in a circle and then, you know, a couple guys screaming and whipping the animal to get them to walk faster. Uh, it takes forever. And, you know, even if you don't fancy yourself a, uh, an animal rights activist, it's pretty brutal to watch. Uh, and it's just not efficient. I mean, you're leaving, you know, there's juice left on the table, so to speak, that you're just not going to get out of the cane. And so, um, one of the first things that, uh, my dad did was, was buy a, uh, a sugar, a diesel powered sugar cane crusher. And he put it at the school that they had just opened. <clears throat> so they dug a well and the well was facing the street at the school. So people would just come use the well. And then he basically did the same thing with the sugar cane crusher and a corn grinder because they'll grind the corn, uh, dried corn by hand to make cornmeal. And that takes forever too. It's ridiculous. So, um, corn grinder, sugar cane crusher, and then, um, basically paid for the diesel fuel for the two, um, uh, machines by charging the people who wanted to use it only based on their yield. So you can have the thing, you know, all day, we're not going to charge you by hour or anything crazy, but <clears throat> he would charge them, uh, just by the yield, which, you know, economically was like a slam dunk for, um, the people who were then taking the juice either to the market or to turn it into rum or whatever. So, uh, so we still have those machines and, uh, it's a shared, shared use, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, and I think what we're going to end up doing throughout this podcast is kind of weaving back in and forth between like some of the really cool stuff you're doing and how it's, how it's impacted people and, and, um, how it's going to tie into, to some of the other challenges that you have as it, as it relates to some of the other stories that, that we're going to cover, but, you know, I just can't emphasize enough how much I I love your your rum and both of them from mm -hmm. the from the Caribbean blend to the um, you know the ancestral drink the Claren, which I actually have the bottle here. Um, nice, there you go. Right now, and so it's uh, it's one of my favorite things. And then when we were actually in Miami together, 
you gave me the great idea of doing the 50-50 of this with the Chiranda Urapin from Mexico and making that and using that for a daiquiri. So yeah. for for the folks at home, having the um, having those two wonderful sugarcane uh, distillates come together is is absolutely the best. And um, I don't remember you you probably know the name of the bar, but it was like a it was like a hotel essentially bar, and it was just like and it was my I think my first night in Miami. And so Chase is from Miami, so he's got this whole place figured out, and. He's just like, oh yeah, come to this place, and we sit down. I sit down with him and his dad, and we're just sitting there. We're talking rum, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, is this the coolest place I've ever been in my life? I'm just like sipping rum. We're talking, we're talking about the rum, but we're also talking about you know both of our daughters as well, which was really fun because we're both new dads, and it was just uh, one of my all time favorite memories. So if if I don't stop now, I'm just gonna continue to wax poetically about you. So um, Chris, what are you drinking? So I don't continue to go down that path. Yeah, it's all right. <clears throat> That's what people are here for, man. They uh, they want to they want to <laughs> get the news. They want to know how Drew spends his time off, uh, or not his time in off, Miami. In Miami, they want to know. <laughs> do you uh, do you do you not smoke a cigar, but just bite it for the look? I actually smoke it. I'm I'm a cigar guy. Oh, I was actually asking Drew. I knew you would because you're classy. Uh, I just feel like <laughs> I feel like Drew would probably just like hang out with it in between his fingers forever. No, I have if I if I do smoke a cigar, I I I, I guess I do it right, but at the same time, I also have enough um, decision making ability where I'm like I'm like you're wasting that on me, like don't even give it to me. Like I just <laughs> I'm not saying I don't like it, but. I mostly think about the fallout from this where I have to shower like three times and the taste doesn't leave my mouth for three days. Like I just, I talk myself out of it before I even start the process. <laughs> so you're probably lighting it incorrectly. Just, uh, Oh, totally. I, 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 yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's the other thing. It's like, I, I know I'm not, I, at no point have I had like proper instruction. And I think I'm so, I think I'm so just like jaded now that I'm like, I'm like <laughs> I can't, I was like, I can't. I can't go back. So, um, but yeah, you're probably right. Uh, yeah, when I, okay. when I figured out how to light it correctly, the taste in your mouth for three days thing went away. It was a, it was a game changer. Okay. Well, all right. Well, next time we get together, I guess you're going to have to influence me into picking up another vice. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> uh, okay, Chris, what are you drinking? I am drinking uh, Golden Ramala, which is an Arak, and uh, I am drinking it in a non-traditional manner. Uh, with soda water as opposed to just like straight water or just on ice. Um, this is hands down one of my favorite drinks and it's really, really dangerous for me because it, um, I will fly through bottles of rock and, um, and then I'm always fiending for more when I'm out and there's not a lot of places to buy a rock in Sacramento. I, my store is one of them, but I can't like drink my entire stock of it. So, uh, my, my <laughs> partner would be very mad at me. So for our listeners at home, what the hell is a rock? Uh, a rock is a, uh, it's a, it's a grape spirit uh, made very similarly to, to gin. Uh, so you, so you're taking this like brandy, this white brandy, and you're, you're instilling it with, with flavors uh, either through infusion or through a gin basket, the, you know, very similar ways. Um, but instead of juniper being your main, your main botanical in here, you're, you're looking more at anise. Um, still a, a, a wealth of, 
other um, botanicals that go in just like you would with gin, right? So it's not just a single uh, flavor component, but but you're definitely getting that like that licorice, that anise flavor that comes through. It's really cool, man. It like it looshes and it looks really neat. And I feel really fancy when I'm drinking it out of like my my kitchen glassware here. Yeah, there's that little um, chemical reaction that happens between the the arak and then like water when you introduce it, where it kind of it changes it to like like this milky kind of light white. Uh, color and i always liked that little magician effect of it um this one this one that you're drinking right now what what country did you say it was from it's from lebanon so so you have lebanon and turkey also is pretty prominent when it comes right. to it's it's so in turkey they call it rocky and it's real a lot of different middle eastern countries have have the stuff and so if 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 anybody's at home who hasn't tried it i mean i know that we talked about it a couple of weeks ago in regards to um some of the top finds in world history when it came to the spirits business but um but it is a really really cool spirit and there's also a lots of different variations where you know i know a, a lot of the feedback that i get when it comes to an anise flavor that black licorice flavor is like oh that's one of my all-time most hated flavor profiles and you're kind of like okay yeah it's definitely part of it but there's varying degrees like some of them are super super intense and then other ones are a lot more subtle and they're very complimentary and um you know there's there's some really cool stuff and i know uh another place that we've talked about a lot is uh the green zone in washington dc who does a lot of the iraq cocktails and then in sacramento itself you have casbah who does some iraq cocktails as well which is just it's just a super cool and and fun spirit and if people aren't drinking it it's um it's one that especially when you do the just like the water and ice with it it's it's so good and i'm one of those people that falls into like not a huge black licorice fan and i just i crush it when i start drinking it like it gets really 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 dangerous and i sell a bunch of them so it's even more dangerous because it's definitely that situation of like getting high on your own supply you know type of type of deal so <clears throat> so not good well but what are you green zone. yeah green zone for sure i mean i got my i got my uh i got my education on iraq and rocky at at casbah is everybody's probably heard a million times from here and it's it's literally changed my life man it like it just it's opened my eyes to so many more flavors and so many more experiences uh just for like pushing myself just a little outside my comfort zone um Mm-hmm. It, it's easy to sort of like make, make that comparison with absinthe, but it's, it's not that, you know, it's, it's uh, absinthe can be so pungent and so huge. Uh, Arak and Rocky tend to be a lot more subtle. Um, they're really um, delicately made spirits. They're just really, really yeah. delicious and fun to drink. Well, I think it, I think it speaks to one of the things that we've talked about on the podcast before, where it's like Brandy's legit. And we don't drink enough of it in the U.S. And it's like it's one of the oldest spirits in the world. It's like, okay, the rest of the world can't be wrong about this. And then when you have products like Rocky or Rarak, it's just like, no, there's there's literally millions of people drinking this stuff. And we're only penalizing ourselves by not drinking more of it. So, again, if you can go to Good Bottle, buy one. Yeah. Buy two. Yeah. <laughs> uh all right true buddy speaking of penalizing yourself what are you drinking so 
so I'm going I'm going back and forth. I wanted to make sure that I had some of the some of the Saint Benevolence here. So although that's not necessarily one that I'm I'm always drinking by itself, uh, that's mostly a daiquiri uh, rum for me uh so, so but i was sipping on it and you know with the with saint benevolence it's it's the cane distillate so it's very reminiscent of like other agricole rums that are out there but there's also like this distinct dirtiness to it that is like the really really fun funk and then um you know the fact that you're like hey i'm making a difference by buying this rum too so there's a little bit of ego that gets stroked with it too where you're <laughs> like i'm a better i'm a better person for drinking and then um and then keeping it just with the with the rum theme, uh, we did a we did a training this morning on it, and so it's kind of been on my mind all day. But I'm also just shilling for my black tot rum today as well. We got to sit down with uh, um, virtually with with Mitch Wilson, who's the global brand ambassador, and we we're just talking about it. I mean, I just I, I've sat through this presentation countless times, and you know I talk i talk rum with actually both of you guys very very frequently and i just can't get enough of how different these guys are and how they're just really doing cool stuff i mean and again speaking to the transparency of saint benevolence you know elixir distillers is another one of those places that's really trying to change the way people perceive rum and doing blends when historically blends were kind of frowned upon very similar to to like scotch whiskey you know to come up with these really amazing blends and really do cool stuff is just, is just great. And the finest Caribbean is just a fun, fun, easy drink that you can sip on. You can make cocktails with, and it's, it's just fun. So I really, really, really do enjoy it. And again, as I said, as many times as I sit through that presentation, like when you hear just about the daily rum ration being given to soldiers while there was nuclear warheads on submarines, like right next to it. You're like, what the hell were they thinking for so long? <laughs> like, that's just, that's so mental. Um, but, but, you know, it makes, makes for a good story though. So that is what I, I'm, I'm bouncing back and forth between, between those two right now. Cause that, I just do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, if I, you know, my kid not sleeping, I basically have to drink myself into a stupor now. So my, my goal by the uh, end of this podcast is to have you put both of them into one glass. <laughs> well, as, as long as we're, as you know, as long as we're doing the, we're talking about blending and, and stuff like that, that's what, that's what I'm all about. So I'll, I'll let you know. I know that they're working on future blends too. So, you know, maybe we can find a way to sneak some Claren into their, into their samples and we'll see yeah, we'll see i mean they throw jamaican in there like if you know if you can put jamaican in there which is like one of the most dominant taste profiles i mean why the hell not some some claren you know okay so um, so let's you want to clarify a little bit uh what what makes claren claren where does it come from who makes it i mean we've sort of touched on it but you want to like yeah def define it yeah, sure. I'll do my best to define it. Uh, but it is a it is a ill-defined category. So, um, so the word uh, Claren, uh, probably better pronounced Claren, is uh, Haitian Creole for the word clear, which makes sense if you've uh, seen it in a bottle. It's uh, unaged uh, sugarcane distillate, so it's clear, translucent. Um, it is made from 
uh, either sugarcane juice or sugarcane syrup. Um, both are used pretty predominantly in Haiti to make Claren. Um, the sugarcane syrup is actually um, a more, um, from what I've experienced in my time in Haiti, a, uh, a more popular uh, source product for Claren because of uh, it's it's more efficient. So your um, your yields are higher. Your sugar concentration is higher with a syrup, and so your fermentation gets you a better yield. And so, for a lot of the Claren producers, this is a uh, it's a straight line economic equation where they are selling Claren to be consumed at their local market. And so, they're uh, obviously laser focused on on yields. So, uh, sugarcane juice or uh, sugarcane syrup. Um, uh, most all of the Claren I've encountered is uh, open vat fermentation. Um, fermentation lasting between five to eight or nine days. Um, so, you know, not the quickest fermentation in the world and all, all open vat. So just, you know, big barrel, no lid outdoors. Uh, and then is usually, um, most, most times a, a single distillation through, uh, some version of a pot still. So, uh, so it's batch distilled. Some of the, the pot stills have a small column on top, uh, probably more, similar to like an Armagnac still than like your typical pot still that you might see in Barbados or something. But, um, but yeah, single, single distillation, uh, and then typically consumed at still proof, um, which, uh, usually is around, uh, one ten to one seventeen ish. Uh, it's sold large format at the local market. So you bring your own jug and you fill it up. Um, when we first started making it, Claren was selling for four to five U.S. dollars per gallon at the market, but uh, Claren prices have gone up lately. Um, so some people are paying eight to nine bucks per gallon for Claren at the market, uh, filling up their own jug. So y- you notice that I was not super concrete with my descriptions. Uh, Haiti has got, uh, by some estimates, you know, close to five hundred um, what are basically micro distillers. Gildives is the the word for still. Um, across the country. And there's just wide variety in the way that people make it. Um, historically, probably was made with sugarcane juice and spontaneous fermentation from native occurring yeast. But um, again, as uh, some of the agricultural processes got a little bit more refined and people were looking for a, you know, a financial uh, stability on the product, um, syrup was kind of the go-to product. The town that we make our... Uh, the, the town where we do our charity work and where our uh, clarin comes from is called San Michel, uh, San Michel d'Atelier. And, and uh, San Michel is known for their syrup-based clarin. It's actually called Method San Michel, which is very French of them. Um, and so the, the Method San Michel includes uh, syrup. San Michel is known for their syrup across Haiti. Um, and, and that's just the process of... Um, a low and slow boil of fresh crushed sugarcane juice to make the syrup. And also with the syrup, you uh, have a little, uh, you avoid a little bit of the cyclical nature of a harvest in that you, uh, your product can stretch out a little bit longer. Um, whereas the juice is just going to ferment if you don't do something with it. So, uh, so that's kind of how it's made. And then, you know, flavor profile, uh, Drew kind of mentioned, you know, it, I think a lot of people uh, with sugarcane juice and sugarcane syrup, products of course not molasses molasses being the byproduct of making granulated sugar so it's not all the way to molasses but flavor profile wise you start thinking about um martinique and some of the agricoles but 
um, pretty grassy, lots of green banana. Um, there's some funk going on, maybe not quite like a Jamaican style funk, but, um, open fermentation is going to lend itself to, uh, chaos in a good way. I know that you guys talked about that in your last episode with Nick about a little bit of chaos being introduced nets you a product that, uh, uh, sometimes is more interesting than than heavy regulation, and so that's definitely the case in 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 Haiti with Claren. And then the other the other Claren tradition that we don't do with Saint Benevolence, but um, is really interesting, is called uh, uh, Claren Twampe. Uh, Twampe means soaked in Haitian Claren, uh, sorry, in, in Haitian Creole, soaked. And so what they do there is they just dump a bunch of interesting spices and botanicals and aromatics into the the um the barrel of of claren and let it kind of hang out and soak uh and so that's you know basically their spiced claren and uh that really i think is truly you know highly variable kind of wild wild west um in terms of what you soak yours in everyone's got their own recipe everyone's got their own preferences i say this in a lot of the talks that i do and interviews that we give but um there's a guy in saint mark uh, the, the town of St. Mark that soaks uh, toasted cannabis in his claron. So it's there's just a really wide variety of what people do with the Twampe uh, claron. But yeah, it's a really, really rad, rad product in a category that's growing that we're excited about. That's really that's exciting so cool. and, and also really terrifying. Like I really, I really want to drink that, but then I also uh, know that I'm just going to need to like pass out in a hammock probably yeah, in like 15 minutes after that. <laughs> which sounds yeah, great sure, i mean that's, that's it sounds awesome <laughs> thank you oh man okay so so now i think it's time to to give our opinions on facts that we've heard from reputable sources okay so this story has come truly full circle for us when we started this podcast over two years ago Season one, episode one, the thing that we were talking about was the trade tariffs between the U.S. and the EU and basically how they affected us. And the big concern at the time was that there was going to be tariffs put onto different products. We didn't know what it was. It was looking like it was going to be the whiskey industry. And sure enough, fast forward a couple of months, and we've touched on this story here and there, here and there, they they ended up taxing um, – single malt whiskeys, as well as, uh, what was it, French cheese, and then I think French wine was also included in as well. Champagne specifically. Champagne got got hit. And so just last week, um, the U.S. and the EU have agreed to a four-month suspension on the tariffs that they impose on each other as punishment for subsidies provided to rival plane makers, Airbus and Boeing. So again... If you didn't know that, all of those tariffs that were put onto all of these different products were basically because of a 20-year argument between two airplane manufacturers that have nothing to do with our industry. Um, I think for myself that the impact ended up being lessened to a certain degree because of because eventually what happened was coronavirus and that just kind of trumped everything else that was going on in our industry so it was it has been bad there's been a lot of companies who have suffered and who have taken on price increases because of uh, because of these tariffs but i don't know if 
if people really felt it the same ways because we were all collectively uh, dealing dealing with that. So, um, you know, the the first the first question I want to ask is, is actually to you, Chris, and basically because this is a full circle story for us. And to be clear, right now it's only a four month suspension until they actually come to a, an agreement. But <clears throat> what are your thoughts? Yeah, man, I'm right there with you, especially in terms of coronavirus. Like the the, the global fuckedness of of coronavirus has uh has really taken taken its toll and i think even even these guys were like all right maybe we push this a little too far <laughs> maybe we could ease off and then uh save some people some money so we were not like the most hated people in the world um i i'm happy that it's coming to an end the, the other side of that i i see is uh competent negotiations um uh the our last uh executive branch was not the most competent in in trade negotiations they just like to bully people around and we saw how that went it just for a 20 for a 20 year argument we're looking at you know the last 4 years of just steady growth i have like tariff 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 and and just going back and forth uh, until someone someone yells stop or you know they're just playing chicken and I think that the the coronavirus pandemic globally really put a halt to that. And I guess that's a silver lining. I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> I think I think I'm happy that it's coming to an end. I'm happy that uh, I'm not going to have to pay a hundred dollars for Lagavulin anymore. Um, that you know, I mean, you guys, you guys did a good job. I think of like knowing knowing that the tariffs were rising. Uh, with JVS and Impex and and filling up tankers and sending them on their way, so you didn't have to pay those tariffs early on, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was a as a way to avoid the price hike as long as we could, and and eventually we did stick to our guns with it. Um, we did just over order on everything, um, whereas other companies were just kind of like, "F it." you know, 25% increase across the board. And so you, you know, you saw that with a lot of different brands and, you know, when it comes to these tariffs, they definitely do seem to target like the smaller stuff. I mean, even though, you know, places like McCallum is obviously huge and um, that in that entire group, but it, you know, somebody like a Kilholman, that's a really tough thing to do is to impose a 25% tariff. And so um, Chase, I think you're uniquely qualified to talk about stuff like this because you know not only are you bringing over like this really you know niche product but um you're also trying to do it in a way that you can put money back into the community and and raise money that way so you know when you're when you're bringing stuff over from from haiti has there ever been anything similar that you've had to deal with? Like, I know that we've had some side conversations where sometimes it, it mean, just importing anything is just going to be difficult, but has there ever been things from like the U S government side where you're kind of like, come on guys, like give me a break here or anything. Has there ever been like that during your guys' experience thus far? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we've had a couple things that have been really interesting as we uh, navigate importing stuff from Haiti. Um, I mean, the first thing that we do is we don't, we don't bottle in Haiti. Um, and, uh, that's because of the federal excise tax. So, um, you pay your federal excise tax based on weight. And so, uh, it basically amounts to an extra dollar 
and 90 cents us per bottle if we bottled in Haiti because they are heavier. And so, um, I'm not interested in giving an extra dollar and 90 cents to the federal government. I'd rather give it to charity. So we don't bottle in Haiti, which is a bummer because if, if we were a bigger company, um, you might make that trade off, uh, for jobs. Um, but you know, we're just not doing the volumes enough now to where we would be hiring a really anybody to bottle in perpetuity. It'd, you know, it'd be like a group of friends getting together for a long weekend. So, uh, so, so that's one of the impacts for sure. And then, um, uh, the other impact is just the way that the, the, um, the U S treats things coming in from Haiti. Um, we've had stuff held up in, in port for a, uh, unreasonably long time compared to how long it might take if it was shipped from another place. Um, and then the, the flip side of the equation is how, how tough it can be to get stuff out of Haiti. We've, um, just since the time that we bottled our Claren in 2019, we have had now two massive fuel shortages in Haiti where the uh, government has come out and said that they're not no longer going to subsidize fuel from Venezuela and people lose their minds. Uh, <clears throat> and so there's riots in the streets and, uh, ships don't leave the port. And so we've had two of those, uh, events happen in the past two and a half years that have prevented our ability to get, um, product to the U S which has been really challenging. And then lastly, you know, um, I, I know, I know that you, you all know me and you know how I feel about Haiti. Um, and I am sure that that will, will come through in our conversation. And I, I'm not one to speak ill of Haiti just in general. I mean, they've not been dealt the fairest hand and have essentially lost the global lottery in a lot of ways. Um, but they have uh, consistently, unfortunately, had people at the top, um, Haitians included, who are uh, only interested in, you know, feathering their own nest, so to speak, right? So, you, like, it's not that, unfortunately, the most honest people in charge all the time. And so export has been really difficult for a lot of folks. And so is import. Um, probably, in like a lot of places, it's run basically by the 1%. So, um, you know, they have a, a contract and a deal with China or whoever they're dealing with. And until the goods come into their control, and then ah, that contract's going to change. And you're going to pay a lot more to get that into the country than we had agreed to before. <clears throat> so one of the reasons why the, uh, the big story out of Haiti last week was a, um, uh, uh, Haitian government member purchasing a four and a half million dollar house in Quebec. Uh, people go, where did you get money for a four and a half million dollar home? Uh, and you know, it just, it turns out that, um, some of these activities are pretty profitable. So it's a, it's a, it's a tough place to do business. Um, for sure. Yeah, I can only imagine as well, like when you have these, you know, these geopolitics that are at play that I mean, a lot of us in, in our daily jobs, like we just, you know, what's happening, happening, you know, from a geopolitical level just never affects us, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, it seems like it legitimately is a world away. And you're diving into it constantly. I mean, I think over the past year, both Chris and I have been more affected by it than usual because of these tariffs and what it did to, you know, mm -hmm. our products and how we had to price things. And, you know, and I think there's, there's a lot of people kind of like, Oh no, no, I'll, I'll pay that extra. But you know, 25% is, is a lot of money obviously. And it's, it, yeah. and that stuff adds up quickly. And then if you're getting into a situation where, you know, you just reference where, okay, you can't even get the stuff out of port. Well, it's 
costing you money to have those bottles set up ready to be filled. And it's just, it continues to cut into those, those margins. And, you know, we, we do do a lot of business with Mexico and it's, it's always interesting to me. It's like, first of all, there's always going to be somewhat of a, of a language barrier, even if you do have bilingual speakers and stuff like that, not everything always translates, but in these in these scenarios where it can get so much more complicated, where you're kind of like, hey, we're we're all trying to do business together, we're trying to get X amount of things, and and often these deals are involving hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, I guess there there has to be that incredible amount of of pressure uh, as well. Like, I mean, what I mean, if something gets stuck in like those ports, like when you're talking about those two incidences with the riots and stuff, like how mm-hmm. long was that stuff stuck there for? Like, what was that time frame like for you? Yeah. The first one was, um, probably end of 2019, I think. Um, and that one was long. I mean, it, it was, um, it was a long time. It was, um, probably 12 weeks. Oh my God. That we couldn't get anything out of Port-au-Prince. And so, um, that was really tough too, because we, you know, we're a small brand and we had just bottled, um, we just bottled the Clarin. And so the the plan was to leverage that, um, kind of market launch to expand to new markets. So we added a bunch of States, you know, each, each adding a state from the brand perspective is a lot of work in the U S. Um, and so, you know, we added a couple more States and so we're really ramping up and, um, Honestly, end of end of uh, 2019, beginning of 2020, um, COVID allowed us to really catch up on inventory that we were kind of behind the eight ball a little bit before, based on some of the fuel shortage issues. So, um, but yeah, it was pretty impactful, um, and there's not much you can do. Right, right. I mean, it's just kind of you know you're not going to go out there and stop a riot. You know, so or, no, yeah, or like, and, hey, call Venezuela. Let's figure this out. Right, right. Yeah. Well, so I mean, you know, uh part of the part of the issue is the president um had run on a platform to uh get fuel prices down and uh he didn't do it without the subsidies. And uh then he said, Hey, we're not gonna subsidize anymore, so people lost it. So um and, and you know, the problem is um one of the problems is that 80% of Haiti lives on less than two us dollars a day. And so, um, it is, uh, common and not very expensive to buy a protester. So if you've got a vested interest in a issue or a person in office, you don't like, uh, it's pretty common to go round up folks, um, and, and pay them to protest for the day. Um, some of the pro the good, the good thing about that is that protests don't end up being, uh, violent. They just end up being a nuisance. You know, they block the roads, they burn tires and that kind of thing. Um, of course, unfortunately there have been more violent protests lately because people are still pretty pissed about, um, the president still being in office. They, uh, don't think he should be. And what the, uh, Biden administration does here is going to be pretty interesting. It, it seems like Haiti is going to be his first international diplomacy challenge. Um, I guess other than bombing Syria. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see what, what plays out. I know that um, Haitian Americans have been let's hope, not thrilled with yeah, the let, approach so far. So let's hope that he doesn't take the Syrian approach to Haiti. Let's yeah, just no, it, let's it, just yeah. That would that that is not that is not what what we want to see happen uh, at this point. So 
Okay, so now in a first for us, a first for the Good Bottle Podcast, we're actually going to be breaking some news, and um, this is—I think this is this is close to both to to both of us, Chris. I mean, we have we have a good friend who's involved with this situation, and for the first time ever, um, there is going to be a some legislation that is brought to the floor by Assemblyman Steve Bennett who represents the 37th district in California. I don't know what district that is. Ventura. Um, <laughs> oh, cool. It is a bill that will codify regulations around using the terms California agave and spirit in any order. The move was brought to Assemblyman Bennett by the owner of Dos Volcanoes Mezcal and friend of the podcast, Craig Reynolds. His intent is to create a board of trustees to oversee not only enforcement of the regulations, but to maintain a certain honesty in the emerging category as well. Starting with some simple, something simple, any spirit containing the words California and agave and spirit in any order has to be grown in California. So basically this is like a labeling issue and what they want to see is if if any of that again if any of that occurs is like it has to be verified that that agave was made in california we've talked a little bit about agave spirits over over the past couple months because i've just had some unique opportunities to try them but um but i think at this point chris and chris we have different opinions on how we feel about this so why don't you start with yours and when when craig told you about this what were your thoughts well, I'm really excited to have you shit all over my uh, my hopes and dreams and and uh, all my opinions. Um, I I appreciate that you let me go first, though. You can back clean up. Um, I will say, I you know, when I heard about this, I was I I was excited. I you know, I heard directly from from Craig. Uh, I think that this is something that's very typical within the within the beverage industry. You find uh, places. Uh, developing and, and codifying their sense of place with uh, with their agricultural products. I mean, you see it with apples, you see it with booze, you see it with corn, you see it with fucking potatoes. I mean, it's everywhere, right? Like, I mean, it's it, this is not a new phenomenon by, by any means. So I think that if you're going to make a spirit that is called a an agave spirit, California made with, you know, in California with California agave, it should be fucking grown here. I think that the, the consumer... Uh, deserves at least that that level of clarification, right? And and transparency. I don't uh, I don't think that it should come down to a percentage. I don't think like with you know Napa cabs, right? Napa cabs can be seventy percent Cabernet and then thirty percent of whatever the fuck you want. Um, I don't think that that should be the case. I think that uh, getting something started with a, an emerging. Uh, um, genre an emerging style i think deserves to have at least some oversight um i don't think that it should uh be as heady as like you know you know overseeing scotch production or cognac production or tequila or mezcal production for that matter i i think that though that with something the u.s is notoriously bad for for codifying sort of standards and practices um you know, you, you can see it in our rum, right? Like we, it, there's, it, it could be anything. There was a point in time where, where like rum coming from, from the East coast and like Long Island in the like late 1800s or, you know, and, and earlier 
actually had a style that was attached to it. And at least people understood what that was. And that's, that's gone by the wayside. Now, you know, rum from the U S can be anything. I mean, it could be rehydrated, uh, sucrose. It could be right. I mean, it could be literally anything. And, and so the consumer has sorghum, no, sorghum, exactly. Like the consumer has no clue what that, what they're, what they're getting. So I think at very least, like having, having a group go, no, stop bad. <laughs> Don't do that. Please do this if you're going to at least say that that's what you're doing. I think is is a semi good thing. By all means, shit all over it. I'm not gonna. I wouldn't say I'm gonna just shit all over it. I just don't think it's necessary at this time. You know, I look at I look at the the situation in California when it comes to agave production and stuff like that, and we have we have one spirit that's being able to be purchased at this point. And that's it. So it's kind of like, okay, I mean, is is there really a standard yet? And I think, unfortunately, sometimes when it comes to regulations, especially this early on, I mean, one of the things that Chase was talking about earlier is when you have 500 different people who are who are making Claren and are doing these different styles and stuff like that, they're not... You know, they're not being told what to do. It's like they're just they're making their stuff. Some are putting spices into it. Some aren't like there. There's a lot of you know, some are using syrup. Some are just using cane. Like there's all this flexibility and all there's discovery that continues to happen. And I think it encourages that. And that's a place that's been doing it for hundreds of years and has examples of it everywhere. In California right now, you don't have that. You have, again, I think it's it's one spirit that you can that you can actually buy, which I think is from Venus Spirits um, from Santa Cruz. It's the only only one that you can actually buy right now. I know there's other people that are working on it and it's a development thing. From Craig's standard, he is growing agave fields and they're awesome. I love I love his project. But I just kind of feel like it's a situation of, you know, you're putting the cart before the horse. It's just kind of like, you know, we're not we're not there yet. You're not at a point when you need to start regulating this stuff. And I know there's been some other and I think one of the reasons that that he's gotten fired up about it because there are things that have come in that have been like agave syrup from Mexico and stuff that get rebranded as, as agave spirit and things like that. So, I mean, he's not completely off base, but I just think that there's other things like we actually need to build a category before you start defining it, you know? And that's, that's where I look at something like this. I'm kind of like, like, well, why are we already doing this? Like we haven't, we have one person who's predominantly growing agave in California. We have one, we have two people that I know of that are distilling it. And one of them doesn't even make it commercially available because they don't believe it's good and it's not good yet. It's gotten better, but it's not good right now. So it just, for, for me, like when I see that type of stuff and it's just another example of, you know, just kind of like wasting government time and money to talk about something that, I just don't think is relevant yet. Um, I don't know. Chase, what do you think? You've heard, you've heard both of our clearly compelling arguments. Like, <laughs> you know, what's, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, I admittedly know a lot less about California agave production than, than the two of you. So even the last 90 seconds has been really informative. I, I told my wife that this was going to be one of the topics that I was like, I hope I don't have to go first because it feels like, uh, are you familiar with the milkshake duck tweet? No. no. What is no? It was a, a, a Twitter account, uh, Pixelated Boat, tweeted it in 2016, and it went kind of viral. But the tweet was just 
The tweet reads as, The whole internet loves Milkshake Duck, a lovely duck that drinks milkshakes. Five seconds later, we regret to inform you the duck is racist. <laughs> and so it just like perfectly, perfectly encapsulates some of these like hot topic issues. We're like, I like that. That seems good. And then you're like, it's a racist duck. So part of me is like, this seems good. Growing agave in California sounds dope. I like agave spirits. Uh, if those exist in California, codifying how they're bottled seems like a positive thing. And then you're like, you know, list seven negatives about why that's not a good thing. Um, I, I actually, uh, I have a question for the two of you on this topic. Uh, does agave grow naturally in California? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. It's everywhere. I mean, if you just drive along the highway, you will pass it everywhere. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, mean and, and that's a, that's the thing that I think a lot of people, um, you know, they, they forget is that, you know, agave grows in a lot of crazy places. I mean, you know, if you all along the Southwest, you're going to see agave ever. Now, does that necessarily mean it's the best for like spirit production? No, that that is definitely not not the case. But there's there's more reasons that are that are popping up. I mean, I know yesterday I was drinking one that is uh, from South Africa. That's wonderful. Like they just they do a really, really great job. And then I haven't had it yet, but I know that there's some agave spirits coming out of India now. I heard, I heard that too. Just, I just I just had one like uh, last week uh, from Peru, and it was fucking bomb. It was dope. It so, was so good. I was so yeah. excited about it. So I think so. You know, there's there's definitely a lot um, a lot of it, and I'm trying to think of the so I know the one that the one that Craig is doing. He's doing the Blue Webers, mm-hmm. right? And so the, so the Blue Weber is what is traditionally used for tequila. Now, of course he will never be able to call anything that his agave goes into tequila because that has to come from Jalisco has to be produced there, but he is using the, um, the same type of agave, uh, here. And, and by here, I mean, in Woodland, California, which is about 30 minutes outside of, uh, Sacramento and a really, really big agricultural area. So, um, so he is, so he is using, uh, an agave that's, that's known to produce the necessary amounts of sugar that are needed to eventually be cooked and then ferment. Um, but there are a lot of agave that you do see, um, up and down the state that they just, the this, this sugar content on them is just never going to be enough to give you, uh, to give you a different, a, a, a suitable alcoholic drink, let alone mm-hmm. one that can be distilled, you know? Yeah. That's super interesting. I mean, I, I suppose after I asked that question, I knew that agave grows in California, but I think what I was getting at was what you answered, which was like, you know, uh, not to, not can it grow and does it exist, but like, um, yeah, you know, such a it's you could take it in such an interesting way too because uh being a white person speaking on behalf of a product from haiti which is not ever my goal but uh there aren't enough uh haitian producers of claren in in the u.s market and so um myself and my dad and our distilling partner have to be the voice uh when it's appropriate and so that's kind of the thing that comes to mind when you start talking about california agave is like oh are, are these uh, white Californians, uh, co-opting a ancestral, 
method and ancestral source product that was actually not uh, typical of where they come from to begin with. So that's kind of the milkshake duck angle I was taking where you go, oh, this is good. And then you realize uh, we're just stealing more stuff from people that don't look like us. Um, so, yeah, but that's not to uh, put that on your friend because that's a heavy. Uh, no, you know, and, and, and I totally understand. Yeah, I totally understand. I totally understand where you're coming from, and I think that that's that's a discussion, you know, Chase. That obviously you and I have had a lot of times because I'm always the one that's like pushing you to talk more, because because yeah. I do think that um, that both you and your dad are a very positive force in in that part of the world when it comes to just just exposing us to to it. You know, like mm-hmm. I didn't know much about Haiti outside of, you know, the natural disaster a couple of years ago. It's like, until I met you and started to talk to you about it and you started giving me all this different insight. And I've seen so many scenarios over the years where, you know, people take a similar stance or they, or they take a stance where they're kind of like, okay, you know what? F it. I'm not going to be part of this conversation. It's, it's stupid. Like you guys are just trying to uh, co-op this identity or trying to monetize this thing. I don't want to be a part of it. And when that happens and you remove yourself from the conversation, whether it's for that reason or because, you know, you don't want to be the perceived as like the white knight of the Haitian people. It's like sometimes that, that, uh, that mindset gets left out. And so then things end up happening that are worse than you ever could have imagined. Right. Cause there was no other, like other voice kind of being like, Whoa, that's not, that's not right. And I think that, I think it's a really, um, it's a really weird position right now for, for where the, for where the California agave thing comes from, because there's definitely some elements to it that are a little uncomfortable because you're kind of like, okay, you know, Mexico doesn't just own all agave production outright. It, It definitely owns, tequila it owns mezcal and it and it rightfully should but as i just mentioned it's like you know this stuff does grow in other places and other cultures are known for for making and producing it and so i think that's it's really like that weird thing right now and again that's why i look at i look at this situation and i'm kind of like we don't even make one that's good like why are we trying to why are we trying to regulate this already? It's like are we really trying to own something that's like okay? Like, but I think I think you just I think you already answered your question though. I mean, when you were talking about removing yourself from the conversation and and then something worse happens, then you have to fix that, right? Like isn't this an example of attempting to do things at least in a somewhat correct method so that way they don't go too far astray from the get-go. So, you know, you do things right from the beginning, or at least semi-right from the beginning, and that way they're not fucked later. Yeah, but we also don't know what that right is, is what I'm saying. Like, we're not even to that point where we figured out, like, this is really good. Like, you know, the agave that grows in woodland is like that's the top notch agave as opposed to maybe agave that grows down in the san diego area you know like there's there's fields there as well so it's kind of we don't even know that yet like to to start putting any types of parameters on it when you don't have all the information and just kind of making some general you know and and again if it's if it's a simple it's kind of like hey it just has to be grown in california and and that's it like don't let people just bring stuff in and brand it as california then then there it is i just I just feel like a lot of these things, you know, there's like the hot, there's like the title, there's the headline, and then there's 17 bullet points dictating 
everything underneath it that they're like, don't, don't pay attention to those. Those are details that you don't need to know about. This is California legislation. We got it figured out, you know, like (laughs) it's like, by the way, you got to sacrifice your firstborn when you make your first batch. Don't worry about that one. Like, it's just, just let us slip that in there. So I think that's, I think that's, I think for for my for my part, I I am excited to see where this goes, and you know I'll be the first one to fucking throw a fit and cuss up and down the you know the street and yell, throw things at the Capitol building from my storefront if it goes awry. So because I can actually hit it from my from my my arm's not that good, <laughs> but it like it, like if I had a t shirt cannon, I could I could hit the I could hit the Capitol building. Maybe that's what I'll do. I'll just, I'll just, uh, I'll just uh, t-shirt cannon the Capitol building with good bottle shirts every time I get angry. It's not a bad idea. <laughs> no, I mean any form of advertising. I said, like I'm telling you, man, it's like you're actually emailing people now. Now, can't you know t-shirt cannons next? It's the it's the natural process of any solid marketing plan. Like I remember when. Chase launched St. Benevolence and it was just like emails and then t-shirt cannon, you know, in Miami. I, I remember the photos, you know, we didn't. At, at what point did the, uh, the wacky wavy inflatable arm guys come in to your uh, marketing budget? That we, uh, we prioritized the, the, uh, the waving arm inflatables. <laughs> oh, so it was like right out the gate. That was like in your yeah. prospectus. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. See, I've got a lot to learn. So much. You know who's dope? Them over there. Okay, folks. So bad news. There is no market watch this week because Chris couldn't find anything that was interesting, which I've been saying for weeks. But he is going to make up for it next week or we're going to bring back the sexy bottle. Tell you what, you tell us what you want. Do you want sexy bottle to come back or do you want market watch to come back? You let us know. We'll make the decision for next week or both. It's not, this is not a mutually exclusive argument here. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Um, But the one segment that we do have, which is, my absolute favorite one each week is where we share with you our dope follows of the week. It could be from any Instagram account, Facebook profile, blog, other podcast. Hopefully not that, but it does happen. Uh, website, whatever. So with that being said, Chase, who is your dope follow this week? Yeah, I actually just started following this guy not that long ago. Um, so uh, I highly recommend following him. Uh, his name is Scott Galloway. You can find him on Twitter at Prof Galloway. That's P-R-O-F-G-A-L-L-O-W-A-Y. Uh, Prof is short for professor. I think he teaches uh, marketing and some stuff at a couple different universities. But uh, super interesting dude if you want to get started on uh, why you should follow him. He's got a really quick article called The Algebra of Wealth. And it's one of the best things I've read in the past couple of years. Um, not a very long article, more like a blog post. And uh, I would highly recommend signing up for his uh, email letter. It comes out every Friday. Email letter? What am I, 100? Uh, <laughs> uh, whatever. His uh, mailing list. <clears throat> his electronic mailing list. Um, 
it hits every Friday and it's a, a mix of um, personal finance, uh, personal joy and meaning, maybe some investing stock market type stuff, um, but just very pragmatic, very rational, um, kind of the voice of reason when everybody else is, uh, you know, buying GameStop and uh, Dogecoin. So uh, Scott Galloway, give him a follow. I'm a big fan. Nice. I I like it. Now, um, Chase, let me ask you this. Yeah. You have a decision to make. Okay. Okay. You can continue to follow Scott Galloway or you can only have Casa Sanchez chips and salsa. Which one is it? Why that are you going to do really that smooth? Me? That was really smooth. So for our listeners at home, what we do now is we send out a little letter to our potential guest. And in this situation, I sent it to Chase last night at 10 o'clock at night and didn't have a ton of time <laughs> to, to respond. But he had the best response so far because I always do a list of, hey, what do you not want to talk about? Because there are obviously things that people don't want to talk about, unlike me, who will just burn every bridge. And then things that they do want to talk about. And Chase's thing that he absolutely wanted to talk about was the Casa Sanchez chips and salsa. So give us the lowdown, man. Why, why, do, you, why do we have to talk about this? Well, the lowdown is I have a little gift for you guys, uh, which is that uh, I'm about to enjoy uh, some Casa Sanchez uh, chips and salsa right now. Which is great audio for anybody at home. Always. Oh, it's great. Well, hey, great and uh, Casa Sanchez is now the official chips and salsa sponsor of the Good Bottle Podcast. You're welcome. Um, Finally. Go ahead, and follow, go ahead and follow them on Twitter at, at Casa Sanchez and uh, tweet at them if you're listening to this. Tell them thanks for the chips and salsa. We're a big fan of Casa Sanchez chips and salsas here at uh, the Good Bottle. So the background on this is that I have a college football podcast that's ridiculous. Sorry, let me finish this chip. <laughs> and um, I just really like Casa Sanchez chips and salsas. If you live in, um, they actually distribute to a fair number of states, but if you live in California, they're they're ubiquitous. Um, so I was just snacking on some and telling my co-host how much I liked them. And a friend of our podcast tweeted at Casa Sanchez and um, Casa Sanchez slid into the DMs and sent us a whole bunch of chips and salsa. So you guys need to do the same thing. You need to get yourself some damn Casa Sanchez, get that Casa Sanchez money and get some chips and salsa into your fridge and pantries like immediately. Yo, I would, I would crush some fucking, they're, they're green and rojos uh salsas are are killer man so good and the the chip is is exactly the right level of crunchy like it's so not it's like it's got some oil on it but it's not oily you like you never find that one soggy chip right like it's always just like it's got that right crisp it's delicious i'm with They're you man. I'm, very, I'm there i'm very on board with this as well i i always i've joked for a long time that you know people are like like oh you know for for your birthday, you, you want a birthday cake? I'm like, no, give me chips and salsa. That's what I need. Just just give me chips and salsa. I'm good to go. I don't need the sweets. Give me give me the saltiness. Give me the heat from the hot sauce. The salsa I'm in. So I um, here's, I, we're here's definitely my, tagging them. 
Here's my question, though, is is we got to talk to Ashley Sawyer and see how she feels about bringing on another benefactor. Uh, That's to true. Our, so to our empire, yes. emerging empire. Chase, we do have a monthly benefactor and um, and Ashley is the best. And so I guess we will have to we will have to consult with our chief investor. That's right. um, how does she feel about chips. She probably She's feels pro great. Chips. I, yeah. I feel I mean, like yeah. pro chips. It's pretty simple. That's decided. <laughs> well, look, here's all I'm saying. I I'm here to uh, to seal the deal with Casa Sanchez on behalf of uh, the Good Bottle Podcast. I just wanted to bring that to you, and hopefully we can get some chips in your mailbox soon. I think it's I think it's I think it's going to happen because. This looks like a very mutually beneficial relationship between us and in in the Casa Sanchez because it's like you know we do talk about a lot of agave spirits and we we both yeah. have such a great affinity for for that and could you imagine like so so we could do a little commercial for each episode and yeah you just, just got to crunch on some chips man a little ASMR get those sauces and chips in your mailbox. We're gonna do it. Okay. I kind of um, want to leave. I kind of want to leave salsa and chips in my mailbox for my mailman. Just see what you, happens. You can do that too. Dave would definitely sponsor that. Because <laughs> I mean, that guy gets around, so he could tell people about dude, how great it is. Dude, they shipped a box of like twenty-four bags of chips to New Orleans for my <laughs> for my co-host. That's great. <laughs> That's absurd. That's great. I think that's just I think that just that just comes to show you that is that is the customer service and the respect that that those people have for for the very successful college football podcast that you once hosted that has amazing sound bites, by yeah, the way. Some of them from the great from the great Garth Brooks. He's a he's a frequent guest. So yeah. uh, what so are, is that a podcast that you're still doing or cuz I know I followed it on on my app um but i haven't seen any new episodes it's a good question we we took the last uh the previous season off which Mm -hmm. i think was probably net positive given you know like a covid college football season was it was just such a shit show uh so i don't know maybe we'll maybe we'll kick it back up for 2021 um it was a lot of fun not very serious um, well, I, I mean, you've, you've learned tonight that that is also the case here. So it was way um, less, way, way less serious than this. We would end each episode with making a coaching cocktail where we would choose a coach from that week that needed a drink, probably because they lost and we would make them a cocktail, but we'd make it based on like where they grew up or like, you know, past, uh, indiscretions they had made. So like most of them ended up with like a, um, prescription medicine dusted rim and you know <laughs> like it was yeah it was a we, to be like we did not actually make these drinks we just you know creatively came up with the specs if you were going to make say a less miles cocktail um for a gentleman who just got fired today we don't want to based on the based on why he got fired we're going to stay away from that cocktail recipe altogether it's international women's day so we're gonna leave that one be yeah we're not gonna do that one um chris who's your who's your dope follow this week before casa sanchez changes their minds on us about sponsoring well i'm going i'm going i'm going back to the bar 
And uh, Cocktail Vision. I, I was recently introduced to this uh, Instagram account, Cocktail.Vision. And um, I really like their pretty cocktails. It's as simple as that. It's just it, they're fun to look at. Some of them are creative and uh, they take really pretty cocktail photos. So if you like cocktail photos like I do, because I like to nerd out on on uh, technique and garnishing techniques and whatnot and just gives me a little bit of inspiration or just something to look at while I, uh, I'm taking a break from all the work that I do, clearly. And uh, um, yeah. has that account ever ended up on one of our former follows of the Fuck Cocktails and Die page? I don't think so. It, it may have. It may have. Okay. Cause that would, because that's always a good account to follow. People don't follow that one as well. Because I just made me think of that. Like when, when cocktails get way too fancy, mm-hmm. it's like, all right, wait, settle whoa. down. Whoa, wait. There's like a half naked older blonde woman in like a third of these, like every 15th photo. What is this? Is that right? Is this her account? This is incredible. Is that cocktail vision? Ah, sure is. Christopher, what are you telling our listeners to? Like when she hits a new uh, look, far be it for me to judge this uh, enterprising woman. She after she hits uh, like new follower, you know, twenty thousand followers. She's got a photo here when she hit eighteen thousand followers. She's wearing no shirt, um, but is holding up not one but two beverages to strategically. Uh, shield shield the nip uh, or nips as it were um oh there it is there it is oh there it is that that looks airbrushed (laughs) (laughs) does it not it looks hey look all i know is i'm sticking with my choice this is uh... the, it's it's so funny because like there really is this beautiful artistry to the rest of these cocktails, and then all of a sudden you're kind of like, wait, what? Uh, like, I found I found her personal account. Jesus, I this mean, is, you this can't. Is, this is great podcasting, by the way. <laughs> you can't you can't hate a woman for wanting to you know thought it up a little bit. You know, there's no there's no hate. It's just it it's definitely like one of those things that it it throws you off because you're kind of like you're like oh cocktail cocktail and you're kind of like wait what like why is this in there? When people look this up, they're gonna understand us. We're not gonna be we're not gonna be terrible people. They're gonna yeah. be like oh yeah, I totally get where they're coming from. Like this is this seems a little sporadic that there's now all of a sudden her topless with two cocktails in front of her congratulating her success. Um, 2018 Mrs. Nevada America. Oh, see, there you go. It ties together. It's all the story. The story comes full circle. It does. This is such a good point. I'm so glad that you did this. I mean, I'm following. (laughs) I mean, you're welcome. We got to, I That's can't wait I'm to see what for. twenty, what is twenty one thousand get us? That's what I'm looking forward to. You know, like we got to get to that <laughs> milestone. Well, you've done your part. Jesus, yeah, fuck, Jesus, that's great. Okay. All right, Drew, bring it on. What you got? Oh, it's it's not this. Um, so so my dope follow uh, again stemming from my 9am rum tasting this morning. Uh, 
is uh, is go out there and follow Chanel Lacory. She is the international sales manager for um, Elixir Distillers, and so her Instagram handle is I Dram of Nelly. So it's I D R A M O F N E L L I E, and she's just like one of those people that it's very clear that she runs almost everything for them. But I don't think that she gets enough credit, even though she gets it internally from the team. Like, I just don't feel like enough people are talking about how much she's doing because numerous times during that presentation today, there was like Mitch checking, wishing I'll be like, am I allowed to say this? Am I allowed to say this? Am I allowed to say this? And she just, she always has a really good sense of humor about these things. And um, she's one of those people that over the past year, I've gotten to know, but strictly via like the social medias or the Zooms or things like that. And she's one of those people like, I cannot wait till we can travel again because she's based in the UK where it's like, I just want to meet all these like dope people in real life and actually have a drink with them. So, um, so she's my dope follower. She does like some really, some really cool stuff for, for uh, Elixir. And I just, I can't wait to actually spend time with like all these people, but definitely uh, Chanel's like one of the best. She's super cool and has a, like I said, just definitely running shit and not getting enough credit. It's become so obvious to me. It's kind of like, it's like she, her name needs to be at the top of the marquee. So, um, so that's my dope follow uh, of the, of the week. All great ones. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We had a great time. And if you like this music brought to you by the Brothers Moore and uh, the, the uh, clearly amazing script writing, and research, and production value that uh, these two guys bring, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts, D Garrison6 and Chris Sinflair. You can also support the podcast and our desire to buy all the Casa Sanchez chips in the event that we don't get any for free at the checkout um, slash anchor.fm slash Good Bottle Podcast. Chase, where can they find you online to reach you? I am on Instagram at lol with chase i'm also on twitter at lol with chase if you want to hear me and read me tweet about uh noah's ark and how it didn't happen that's a main topic i focus on uh, my twitter account <laughs> um, i actually almost i actually almost put that in the list of things i i didn't want to discuss was noah's ark just as a joke um you can follow saint benevolence on facebook and on instagram at saint benevolence and uh, check out our website, saintbenevolence.com. We have some really cool merch uh, in our Shopify store that's linked on Facebook and our Instagram. And uh, for the month of March, we're giving 100% of the proceeds to Innovating Health International. They conduct all of our uh, cancer screening, education, and prevention work in Haiti. So if you want to pick up some cool zombie glasses, enamel pins, or other swag with St. Benevolence branding on it, for uh, the rest of March for International Women's Day, we're going to donate 100% of the proceeds of that stuff to Inner, um, Innovating Health International, uh, good partners of ours in Haiti who are doing incredible work uh, 
for women in cancer care. And hey, as Jay- someone who has some of those zombie classes, they are fucking gorgeous. Yeah, they are, they are so so great. Get them, even if you don't know what to do with them, buy them because they're they're great. Uh, Chase, also, uh, who, which distributors do you work with across the country? Oh, great question. You're going to put me on the spot. Um, we are self-distributed in the state of California as of right now. Uh, so you would email me or Instagram me uh, if you're in the state of California and you want to pick up on-premise or off-premise uh, products. Uh, we are distributed in the state of Washington through Prime, the state of Illinois through Momentum Beverage Team, Provisions in Oklahoma, Victory in Texas, International in Louisiana, PM Spirits in the state of New York, and 21 in Florida. We're also distributed through Skylark Spirits in the EU as of next week. So if you live yeah, in... Yeah, Skylark. Love those guys. Yeah, dog. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so uh, lots of good stuff. Uh, New York is a good state for shipping too. So if you don't live in one of those states I listed, uh, we are carried by a good number of e-commerce sites, but, uh, one of the more common ones you can go to is, uh, Aster Spirits, Aster Wines in New York. Uh, they'll ship to almost every state in the U S so you can uh, have some delicious Claron shipped to your door and, uh, hundred percent of the profits will fund charity work in Haiti. And if you would like for us to cover a story, if you're working on a brand, specifically Casa Sanchez, and you would like to be featured, please email us, pretty please, pretty pretty please, at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. Drew, you're on mute. Drew, nobody can hear you. I was coughing, and so I didn't. I didn't do that right. But uh, you can purchase all these bottles that we had today on the podcast by visiting the uh, thegoodbottleshop.com. And until next time, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know what's going on with the sound, but it's amazing.